Welcome, everyone, to the Two Tongues Podcast. Consider this your invitation to join Kyle and Chris on a journey through our minds. Where we explore the questions that have fascinated us for as long as we can remember. Could anarchy actually work? Does God exist? And just how did the cosmos get here anyway? Let me be the Virgil to your Dante, the Sacagawea to your Lewis and Clark. Let's take the guided tour through the dark chambers of our unconscious, seeking answers to the most important and unsettled questions of our shared existence. Ready or not, here we go. Here we go, here we go. Uh, welcome back, one and all, to another episode of the Two Tongues Podcast, a podcast where Kyle wears masks. I thought you were going to be wearing something, too. It's the Halloween episode. It is the Halloween episode. That's a pretty this cool... embarrassing. It's a pretty cool mask. I can't stop looking at the nose is, of your mask. This is really embarrassing. What is the mask? What is this? <laughs> it's, um... There's a band... Called Slipknot. Oh, this is the uh, guitarist this mask. Is, okay, Mick What's, Thompson. Mick Thompson. Yeah, man. Sweet. It's like Mick Dreamy. Is only, it only metal? Who's Mick Dreamy? The dude from uh, what that that fucking hospital show? Oh, I don't watch. I don't watch gay shit like that. Yeah, no, neither do I. I'm just aware <laughs> of it. <laughs> just um, aware of it, man. McDreamy. McDreamy. Um, not Dylan McDermott, but it looks, it looks like... Um, come on, man. There's like one woman in the audience going, yelling his name out right now going, come on! Anyways. Anyways. Uh, he's a handsome fellow. Yeah. I'm sure he is. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I just kind of... I thought that we would both be wearing costumes because it's the vi- you know we got the video going and it's the Halloween episode and yeah listen I don't know man. I just assumed you told me it was the Halloween episode when you got here and I didn't immediately well, you know notice the mask is. you know what day it is what it, what day is it oh the thirtieth it's not isn't oh it's All Hallows Eve <laughs> oh shit is. is it really oh shit it sure is it is so this is time for one of your pagan rituals in the forest Kyle uh maybe this is the most uh, <laughs> especially wearing a mask like this yeah. that's probably it's exactly the type of thing that. This guy would be doing. So the nose of that mask is very realistic. It's also very gnarled up and angry. Yeah, yeah. Profile view. Yep. <coughs> Excuse me. Look like Leatherface. Leatherface with your long hair. Shout out to Matthew. The uh, the ma- the mask goes up higher on my head. I look like uh like kind of like Hulk Hogan right now, you know, because like, I'm bald up here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yep. So. so What's up, dude? Um, what is up? I did an episode with Daniel uh, Torden of the Indeed. Onion Unlimited podcast. He sent me the he sent me the links for it or the uh, files, so I'll probably republish it uh, at some point on Two Tongues. But if anybody's interested, um, Daniel and I on the Onion Unlimited podcast talked for a couple hours um, a couple days ago. I don't know when it'll air. If he maybe he's <coughs> not maybe he's not posted it yet, but keep an eye out for it because uh, it was a really interesting conversation. And I did something. I'll tell you what I noticed about the conversation. I can't believe you're still wearing this mask. Um, Halloween episode, dude. First thing, uh, Daniel and I, um, have we talked enough now that it wasn't quite as formal. It was a little bit more laid back. It was like a little bit more of a regular conversation. Yeah. 
because uh, you know, just we're just, just more like a bro down. Yeah, more comfortable with each other, and we were like not nice at thing. all. Getting like spiritual together and a little bit, yeah. Just broing down, just broing spiritually down. Yeah, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, he he did a podcast with uh, his his oldest friend that he's known since he was like in the kindergarten, first grade. So it's a lot like you and I. Yeah. Uh, his name's Math. He calls him Math. M A F. His name's Matthew. You know how the English okay. talk, Math. And uh, anyway, uh, he did two episodes with him, and I really enjoyed it, man. There was uh, one episode where he was talking about the the time that they, when they first met. And how his his dad brought Math over to his house, Math's dad, and um, hit, and Daniel's dad was like, "Well, give him one of your toys, like make friends with him, make a gesture." And uh, he so so Daddy went and got like this old beat up Matchbox car or whatever that he didn't like anymore, yeah. and gave it to them. And his dad was like, "No, give him your best one." Wow. Dan, and Daniel was so pissed that he had to give him his Batmobile. He was so upset oh, about fuck, that. <laughs> I would be pissed off too. Just kind of interesting, man. Is that is that a Jehovah's Witness thing, like the giving of the nicest thing you have? I don't think so. But we can ask him. I don't think it is either. But it's just interesting, like the kind of stories that he that he was telling. Um, Obviously, Dan- Daniel you know, grew up in a different generation, but it's like you could transplant uh, you and I back to that generation, and those stories would be exactly like the, ours growing up, you know. And just seeing that kind of uh, people are people, just seeing those illustrations that people are just alike in so many ways. It's just uh, I love it, man. I love it. I love seeing those examples. It's just an interesting thought to me to like make a gesture. To be friends with someone, you know what I mean? Yeah. To, like, lead, to, like, come with an offering of some sort, you yeah. know? Yeah. It's an interesting concept. It is interesting, but if you think about, like, historically, that's always how it was. Yeah. If you made contact with a, a group or a tribe or a, or a family that you, like, family moves into the neighborhood, right? That's not that long ago. What would you do? You'd, you'd bring them a lasagna or something, um, you know, right? Yeah. We, we don't do that anymore, but we used to. And if you bumped into a tribe, a new tribe for the first time, you have two choices. Back, you know, in ancient history, you either go to war with them or you make friends with them, you know. And so they would bring gifts and they would exchange gifts. Think about like Cortez and the, and the Indians or whatever. It's like, you know, you bump into a new culture, you give them a gift. I'm not saying, you know, that worked out the way it should. I'm just saying it's an, an example of uh, making a gesture. Yeah. And it even, it even passes language barriers. Give somebody a gift. You don't have to say shit. You know, they you're like, it. okay, you're a good guy, man. They get it. Yeah, they, they get it. Um, <clears throat> for some reason, when you were talking, it I started thinking about, like, have you ever gone over to somebody's house? Ha- like, somebody invites you over to their house for dinner, and what they cooked is just not good. <laughs> yeah. That's happened before? Yeah, sure. I'm sure it has. I'm trying to think of a particular example, but I'm sure oh, it has. Oh, you don't have to. We don't have to, like, spill the beans on particular <laughs> examples. But yeah. It yeah. just, uh, for, I don't know, That's a that sucks. You know, you know what? This, oh, it's because you said that they, people would make, like, lasagna, and I was just thinking, like, how many people made lasagnas for their neighbors? <laughs> it's just terrible, you know? So I, in, my, in my former life, I used to go to, uh, like, there was, like, always dinners at church, you know, yeah, like oh, for yeah. different reasons. And then uh, sometimes they they would do like breakfast at church. And I remember you go to breakfast at church, like a, uh, what do they call them? Whatever they call them. Uh, like, you know, like a banquet. And um, and there would be like six people that made um, sausage gravy. Mm-hmm. So now here's the here's the interesting thing. You get to, you're still wearing this fucking mask, Kyle. Dude, Halloween episode, <laughs> man. So you get to taste six different people's version of sausage gravy, which is one of my all-time favorite things ever. 
You're a big sausage gravy guy? Yes. I didn't know that. I'll tell you what I like in particular, but the uh, point is there was one person who made sausage gravy. It's like they didn't, it's like where was the flour in this recipe because it's just like liquid. It's just water. Oh. You just pour this, you just pour this barely gray colored water with a little bit of meat in it, in it on, onto your biscuits. Worst. It was gross, man. It was totally the, the worst. Point is, oh, there went my phone. But the point is, you get you learn, you know, the value of a of a good cook. You also learn the diversity, um, and that's another interesting thing about meeting people from other cultures. You know, just the diversity and shit. But I figured out what I like the most about sausage gravy is if you use a, a spicy sausage, oh, okay, like a zesty breakfast sausage. Okay, zesty. start with the start with the heat. I'll even put red pepper flakes in there because I think it's important. Um, it's something about the combination of the heat and like that maple flavor. Oh yeah, you know what I mean. Sweet heat. Yes. Thing. Yeah. I yes. Like that. That's it. I like that. Yes. <laughs> um, I just like sausage gravy, man. My grandma used to make this like lard gravy. It didn't mm. have sausage in it. It was no, there was no meat in it. It was still really good. Was it really good? I don't know how she made. Yeah. It. How did she make it good if there was no meat in it? It just tasted good. All the the pepper and salt and. You know, pepper, salt, and lard. Yep, that's yep. it. Put a little milk in there. Oh yeah, fluff it up. I think that that must be basically it. Mm. Um, do you ever remember? Because for some reason, this recipe seems like it may go way back to like um, the early days. Do you remember ever having? Early days. Do you remember ever having Crisco icing on a cake? Not particularly. Okay, something my mom would make from time to time. Okay, no, I don't remember. I, I don't. I don't even know what Crisco icing is. Well, I know the, what Crisco is. Yeah, exactly. Crisco's lard. Yeah. And then I, I don't know what more is to this recipe other than uh, I mean I never made it. I only ate it. But it's like lard and sugar. Like I don't know what else is in it. But it's like the creamiest, um, sweetest, heaviest, delicious icing. And um, and then as an adult, I realized. The main ingredient in that icing was lard, man. Lard. Just fat. Just just fat, yes. Spread lard. it on top of a cake. Oh, yeah. Yep. Delicious. Yeah, it was delicious, yeah. Anyway, I was talking about the Daniel, the episode I did with Daniel. Yeah. Um, we talked to, I, I pulled him into deep waters a little bit because I started talking about uh, politics and racism. Oh, yeah. Because I wanted to know what the British perspective is on it, you know? Yeah. Uh, you know how like every now and then I'll, you know, I'll bring up and we talked about this not long ago how disappointing it is that in the United States uh, what we, the, the conversation we had last time about it was that white people aren't seen as contributing to cultural diversity yeah um, and and that we all get kind of get lumped into one group as though there isn't any differences between white people and the same thing with black people but I decided to bring that topic up to Daniel because I wanted to see how it would go over for him not being from the United States and also a European because I, I imagine that in Europe people are more connected to their individual um, European cultural traditions because it's alive and it's right there. We're so far removed from it across the pond, it's like it doesn't exist. So I imagine that he would say, you know, there's a certain pride in being English and there's a certain pride of being, you know, from Rotheringham or wherever he's from. And uh, uh, it was so it was interesting. The conversation didn't get... Too, particularly too far down that direction um, but it was interesting to hear his perspective he basically said his 
his perception is that racism is worse in the United States by a long shot than it is in the UK. And so we started talking about that. And I told him, like, I think that there's pockets of that, you know, um, everywhere, you know, all over the, all over the world. You know, so you're not going to ever have, a, you know, a society that's completely wholesome in that way. There's going to be some bigotry for various reasons. Um, but that the way the media makes it look in the United States is not the reality, like at least not my experience. I've lived in multiple cities. I've been around many, many years, and I don't see racism regularly from anyone, no. from anyone. Yeah, no. In day to day life, it's it's pretty rare. Pretty rare. That's um, why I am surprised that the racism narrative is as compelling as it is. Yeah, um, it's a good point. But the one thing I did tell him, like in my lifetime is that I noticed some resistance to interracial marriage, and especially when we, we were younger. Um, it wasn't culturally accepted like it is today. I mean, I, I noticed a difference in retrospect, if I think back about it, how, how it was um, you know, growing up, even as a teenager. Um, and I think that might be different in the UK. I think that there's, I think it, he made it sound like you, you don't really have that problem in the UK, that people are more or less seen as people and interracial marriage is not un, unusual at all um, and it's not scorned upon in any way. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's, that's true, day-to-day life. You know, like we were saying, it's, you know, but I don't really think that that's an issue here anymore at all. No. To be honest with you. But would you would you think so if you remember back when we were like teenagers? Would you think so? I mean, maybe a little bit. It's even the attitude towards homosexuality when we were even when we were teenagers, even in the early 2000s, the attitude towards homosexuality was not it was it was not as accepting by a long shot, I think, as where it is now. Well, yeah, I mean, now it's ridiculous. I mean, it's like uh, they it, now they like encourage people to be gay. You know, like they're trying to convince people to be gay. Mm. Uh, so yeah, I mean, we're just on. It, it, we're not even like playing the same game now as we were. Yeah, in the that's true. Know, the nineties or whenever you were talking about. It's interesting. It's weird. It's weird. Yeah, I think just people. I think people are are gullible. Uh, I don't know if that's the right word, but I think we're easily swayed in our collectively anyway, easily swayed in what we what we are convinced is normal. You know, it yeah. doesn't take a whole lot. Yeah, it just takes like a couple celebrities. Just takes a couple celebrities, yeah. Basically, and a, like a, one like good politician, like one well spoken politician, and a couple celebrities, and yep. turn the tide on an yeah. issue. I think so. Yeah. Then, uh, then towards the end of that episode, we were talking. Kanye about, just needs like one more guy, just, just one just more one guy, one more person to step up. Uh, Sorry, go ahead. Oh no, I was just gonna say we started talking about accents because uh, Daniel had a another American lady, uh, former Jehovah's Witness, he had on the podcast to talk about that, and she was from New Jersey. Jersey. And I was like, does like, do you pick up on the differences between like the way I sound and the way she sounds? And he was like, oh yeah, you know, I definitely. And so we were talking about that a little bit and. Uh, the different accents in um, that are just in in England, just the different accents. Oh yeah. And he he was doing some of them for me, but then he, oh, there, yeah. there were some that he even he couldn't do as an Englishman, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. And then we were talking about like I asked him whether there's like prejudice or like stereotypes um, where with different groups in 
um, in England or in the United Kingdom. Like, and I said, because I told him, like, I didn't realize, and this is just completely opening up my ignorance, especially at the time I was a teenager. I didn't realize until I was a teenager that England wasn't a, appropriate as a designation for the United Kingdom. Yeah. And also that if you called somebody English or even British and they were Scottish or Irish or something, them be fighting words. Like, I didn't realize that. Yeah. See, because in my, and I tried to explain this to Daniel, but he didn't exactly respond to it. It's like, I, I guess my historical lens has always been like, if a people conquers a people, then you assimilate um, and you become that, that people. So if the British, the English, took over all of Great Britain and Ireland, in my opinion, you're English now. You're, you're being ruled by an English king under their sovereignty. They've taken over your land and dominated your people. That means you're English now. And um, apparently that's not the way they see it, man. I don't, I don't <laughs> see it that way. I don't, I mean, I mean, I guess I understand. I think that in some ways you're correct, but I think that people are always going to like retain their... Or at least that there's an overarching identity. Like in the United States, you can be from Ohio and be proud as an Ohioan, or you could be from Washington and be a proud Washingtonian or whatever they call them. But you have an overarching identity that you're both American, and they resist that in, in the United Kingdom. Do they? Oh, yeah. And, and oh, yeah, I guess with Ireland and Scotland yeah, specifically. Exactly, yeah, exactly, exactly. It's like you're Scottish, and even though you're part of Great Britain, you're Scottish, man. That's Scottish first. There is a difference, though, in some ways, because like all of the history of America is new. You know, like they were creating it, whereas True. there was history and, um, you know, tradition of these places before they were taken over by England. True. I don't know, man. I just feel like when the Roman Empire went and conquered uh, Europe and, and parts of Asia and all that, that they they owned the tribes that they conquered, in a sense. And that made them Roman, right? And I guess if I think, the more I think about it, the more, the more it makes sense that your primary identity, you know, just that little bit of, like, sovereignty within your soul and that that feel that that feeling of like resistance that you're going to have a hard time ever fully getting over um that you might prefer still to identify as a visigoth or something rather than as roman but um i think maybe the the fact that we're so far separated from the rest of our european history it probably uh plays into that you know Mm -hmm. Um, i saw this uh video it was the cast of some english tv show I think it was that show Peaky Blinders. Mm. You, you ever watch that show? No, me neither. But um, it's got a, some a good cast. But I haven't. Have a, I've heard it's good. Yeah, but I haven't watched it. Um, but anyways, I saw this video and it was the cast of I believe Peaky. It had to be because that dude Killian Murphy was there. You mean Scarecrow? Yeah. Yeah. Um, he was there, and I think some kind of British royal was like like going down the line shaking their hand. You know, some kind of event thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he's Irish. And when they, whoever the royal is, is like shaking his hand. I think it's like William or something like that. Yeah. He's like, you know, smiling, shakes his hand. And as soon as he gets past, he's just like, he's just like glaring at him like, fuck you, man. Because <laughs> they like, it's still a serious thing well, over there. It's funny because that's something Daniel brought up is, you know, like the Scottish in particular. They're always... Um, well, there's always talks about them wanting to be independent. Yeah, they had their chance and they fucking voted against it. Yeah. 
Those, I was but super there's a, bummed about that. But there's that. a spirit of resistance like that still pretty strong to this day in Scotland. and uh, I don't believe it now. I just don't. I mean, oh, yeah. they, they voted to stay. Yeah. Yeah, but we but there but there were plenty of people that voted for Biden in this country, and I and you know you asked me you asked me today, you know, in light of everything true, that's happened true. over the last two years, you know, how could that have happened? I'm like, fuck, I don't know. I I see your point, but I it, I was I used to think that too, but I was just I, that's why I was really surprised when they voted to stay. Basically, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just go, man. But anyway, he, he said that the Sco- the Scottish people um, are proud, and that they. Uh, he said he, he if he ever uh, retires, that that that's where he wants to live. He said it's it's absolutely be- beautiful there. Um, and he said uh, that I asked him, I'm like, what are the stereotypes? Like what like what do, what did like the English think of the Scottish? Like what are those stereotypes? And he was like a little careful about that. But I asked him, like, are they? Do they think of like the Scots are like? tough guys you know like like lumberjacks and shit and he was like yeah you know they kind of have a reputation for being that way and i and i was like you know if you think about it the roman empire uh came all the way up through england to the north and they they stopped at hadrian's wall they could never conquer the scots you know the romans could never conquer the scots so they just built a wall and said fuck you guys uh so they they have that you know like so that's something to be proud of, and I and I asked him if like the Scot Scottish people are still proud of that, and he more or less said yes. Like uh, I don't, you know, maybe we have to talk to some Scottish people to to see whether their cultural memory goes back that far, like really. Yeah. But um, you know that they're just proud people. You ever go ahead? I'm I was sorry. just saying it was a very interesting conversation. Yeah. Yeah. You ever watch any Count Dankula videos? No. Huh? no. You should. He's funny as fuck. He's a Scottish guy. He's a Scottish guy. He's the guy who got taken to court for teaching his girlfriend's pug to do the Nazi salute. Oh, God. I sort of barely remember that, yeah. He's funny as fuck. Um, and he's got... Hey, I don't know. I just brought him up because he's Scottish. He's funny and Scottish. Weird. You know, there was something I meant to ask it's Daniel. An interesting accent up there, man. Oh, yeah. We, like, just... They say things weird. They sure do. <laughs> uh, one thing I forgot to ask Daniel about, I meant to... Um, so the Scot- the Scottish and the English obviously still have some animosity towards each other. They won't identify as one group of people, you know, easily. Um, but when the British monarch is crowned, now this could be, I could have this completely misunderstood. This is why I wish Daniel was on the phone right now to, to help us out. I think that they either are crowned in Scotland or the Stone of Scone, the Stone of Destiny is brought to um, Buckingham Palace or wherever it is that, that that happens and they and they I'm pretty sure it goes inside the chair the throne where they sit when they're crowned so there's a connection I don't know it, it either happens in Scotland or the stone is brought from Scotland down to to uh, London for this for this ceremony but there's a connection between the Brit the British royalty being crowned um, there's a connection to Scotland that I'm really interested as to what that is or what that means or why and how they square that circle when the Scots and the, when the Scottish and the English don't see themselves as one people. You know, it maybe has to do with just symbolically unifying those two kingdoms. Maybe I'm overthinking it, but it's just interesting. I don't know. Have you ever heard of that? The stone of scone? Nope. I've heard of scones. (laughs) Is it, is it scone related? Is it like pastry related? Man, I, yeah, 
there's like a couple of uh, memories flashing through my head right now that I'm not sure are what I think they are. So I'm just going to not, I'm just not, I'm not going to tell that story. Um, there's something, there's some like documentary I watched. There's a castle in Scotland where these people will go, they lay on their backs they pull themselves they across the, the threshold. The Blarney Stone, that's yeah. the one. And they're like risking their lives to fucking pull themselves out and kiss the stone. The locals piss on that thing too. So. Oh, no. Yeah. What's the, that's what I heard. I don't know. <laughs> What's the Blarney Stone? Do you, do you know you, I don't off really the top know, of your head? I don't really know why it's special. Mm. I, I just know that it's a thing. That the American tourists go there and they kiss this thing that the locals piss all over. Again, allegedly. Yeah, allegedly. <clears throat> Sounds um, like something that people would do, though. So the uh, the legend of the Stone of Scone that I brought up, the Stone of Destiny, is that it was, some people say it was the stone pillar that Jacob made in the Bible when he fell asleep and had that vision of the Jacob's ladder with the angels going up and down. Some say it's that. Some um, say it's that. Yeah. So there's... Um, uh, a legend that it goes back to ancient Israel. So the stone was brought from from Israel, wherever they crowned the Jewish kings, yeah. and it was taken to England or Scotland or whatever. So there's there's like a legend that makes it go all the way back to you know ancient Israel. Crazy, the Stone of Scone. So you know, I probably butchered all that history for all the English and Scottish folks that. Uh, know what I'm what I'm talking about for real. But you know, look you it up. You did a good job. Look it up. It was entertaining at the least. Let us entertain you. <laughs> um so I'm it's it's starting to pass now, but I thought I was gonna have to sneeze there for a second. That was about to be problematic. <laughs> sneeze in your mask. Yeah. What the fuck do you do? You just sneeze you just let it, you know, bounce back into your eyes and open mouth. Yeah. Yeah. That's the way. <laughs> oh man. Uh, it's a nice hoodie you got on there, man. It is, yeah, yeah. Thank you, man. They play. They play today. Um, they actually play on Monday, Monday. instead of today. Um, but since since well, this is supposed to be the Halloween episode, apparently, yeah, let's dude. let's say this. Let's say that I'm dressing up to, to support a winning football team. Yeah. Right, because then it's merely a costume. Absolutely. The Browns never win, you guys. The Cleveland Browns. That's that's not true. I think we have three wins this season, but we have. Yeah. We, we have a we have a like a decent team for the first time in a long time, and we still can't win. Did you watch that Buckeyes game yesterday? Yeah, I sure did. Uh, well, I ended up watching the second half all by myself. I watched the last eight minutes, oh. and that was the best decision ever. Oh man, like that was so good. Dude, I, I timed it perfectly. We were behind almost the entire game, and it was really really nerve wracking. And then right in the fourth quarter, it just. CJ Stroud was just like, "All right, let's start scoring touchdowns." Yeah, it was really really fun to watch. Yeah, it was. I've watched more football this season than I have in a long time, and I'm doing it right. Last eight minutes. <laughs> Last eight minutes. That was good. Yeah, I think that's the way to do it, man. Um, they looked impressive. That for that last eight for minutes, the last no. eight minutes, yeah. yeah. I think that's the only thing that's going to keep them uh, from falling in the in the rankings. Uh, a lot of times, the Ohio State is uh, over overranked, and people criticize them for that. Um, I'm a huge fan, and I agree that sometimes they are overranked. Uh, but this year is one of those years where I'm really not sure um, yet. I'm really not sure, man. That that wide receiver, he's pretty good, man. Oh Martin man, Harrison Jr. Yeah, 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 dude. Turning into a football podcast right now. <laughs> well, um, let me switch sports on you. 
right. Did you see Jake Paul and Anderson Silva fought last night? No, I didn't. Yeah. I didn't know that that was happening already. Yeah. Damn. I would have. They cranked these things out, dude. Yeah. Yeah. So well, apparently that, that fight was supposed to be two other people before it was Anderson Silva. Oh, really? Um, they, they finally got it, got it, that figured out. Um, Jake Paul won. Jake Paul won? Jake Paul beat Anderson Silva in a boxing match. Nice, man. Uh, I watched just I got- a clip of it this morning, and it was like in one of the late, later rounds. Uh, he hit him with a hook, um, and Anderson Silva f- fell, you know, to the ground. He got up pretty much right away, but it was impressive, and, um, and Jake Paul won by decision. So that's interesting, Crazy. man. My brother was supposed to come drive up and watch it with me, but I never heard a peep from him, so he blew me off. So if you're listening to this, bro, shame, 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 <laughs> for shame. Um, no, that I uh, a lot of people hate on those kids. Well, they're not kids anymore; they're like grown ups. Yeah, they're grown ups. But um, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. Whatever. I think I think they're. I think that's impressive, man. Absolutely, absolutely, man. So for those people who don't know the uh, Jake Paul and his brothers who, um, Jake and Jake and uh, Logan, Logan, yeah, um, they're from not far from where we live, and so that makes it sort of a little bit extra interesting. It's like watching a, like in Steve Pace heyday, um, you know. It's like because he's from our neck of the woods too. It just makes it a little extra interesting, you know. The home team, even though he's like Ukrainian or something, isn't he? Something. Something, yeah. Miochik. It seems like it would be like, I don't know. Sounds Russian to me. Uh, he's Croatian probably, or something. It could be. Yeah, it could be something like that. There's a lot about. There's a lot about Eastern Europe. I do not know, man. Same. Isn't that interesting? It's a lot that a lot of people don't know. It's a lot about Eastern Europe and the the former Soviet Union, all that whole area over there. I just don't know. Yep. It's a shame. Oh, oh, you know what? Let me ask you this question. While we're talking about shame and knowledge and being an American, um, I told. I told Daniel that uh, there was like learning about the fact that calling a, a, a Scotsman or a Welshman um, English might might be insulting to them. That was like kind of a news to me, um, and I explained my rationale. But one of the things that I also think, and you tell me as another American if this makes sense to you, if somebody says Great Britain and somebody says the United Kingdom, in my mind, synonyms. I don't see a difference. Those are two. Words for the same thing. Now, Daniel was quick to tell me how wrong I was, uh, but first impressions. Does Great Britain and the United Kingdom, are they synonyms to you? Um, I don't, I know that they're not synonyms. I've heard the distinction before. Yeah. I don't particularly remember what it is. I think the United Kingdom is like the broader sense of it, like including Canada and Australia back when it was part of it. Yeah. And Great Britain is maybe referring to like, you know the part that is Britain. Yeah, yeah. So it's pretty much it's pretty much right, except for I don't know if the word United Kingdom was used when Great Britain was like an empire, like what you're describing. Maybe, 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 maybe not. But uh, Great Britain is the unif- It's the unification of the kingdoms on the mainland, on okay. the island. So Great Britain wouldn't include Ireland, right? Got it. And United Kingdom includes Ireland. Got it. Um, and maybe Wales too. I can't remember. Uh, but I think the I think Great Britain is see I'm butchering this all up. I think what he was describing is the kingdoms in the mainland united as Great Britain. Then the larger kingdom uh, beyond that is the United Kingdom. Uh, so I guess that makes sense. But as an American, I didn't know that, and I just I just wonder like how common that is. I assume that's a common mistake that Americans would make. Yeah, I think um, 
a lot of Americans just call it England. You know, that's just all England. Which is even worse yeah. if you're if you're not English and yeah, you yeah. and you're you. Like, are... What the fuck did you just <laughs> say? Um, There's really nothing like that here. There's really nothing like that where somebody could miss could assume you're from some part of the United States where you're like fuck you. You know. Um. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I guess I'm not gonna like be willing to fight over it. But if I'm if I'm talking to somebody who's not from America and they say you're from Indiana, and I'm like, no, I'm from Ohio. He's like, no, you're you're from fucking Indiana. Yeah, you know, yeah. I might be like, fuck you. Yeah, man. <laughs> um, yeah but it's like even if you consider Canada, like yeah. they're, they're French speaking provinces and they're uh, English speaking provinces, they have that um, animosity towards one another. Or they 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 other the other group they're like those you know French speaking bastards or whatever it is, um, and they they don't like each other. That's to me that's similar to what you see in Great Britain. Like, listen, I've never fucking been there. This is all speculation. I'm just I've seen a couple shows. I'm just I'm just pretending like I like I have an understanding of the dynamics. But that's how it seems to me. And I don't think there's anything like that here. You know, maybe. Tensions are, you know, I think there's still some kind of maybe tension between North and South. I like uh, I don't know. Southerners are proud of being Southerners. Yeah, I suppose. I think. Yeah, that's something. It's you know, it's it's funny because I think you're right. I think people from the South do have pride in just general idea of being Southern, whatever that means. Yeah. But I don't think people from the North. Um, like you and I, we you'll never hear anybody use the word Yankee. That you you will in the South, but not here. We don't consider ourselves different they, different from them. I don't. You don't. No. Yeah, we do. The, there's like the coastal elites. You could say that might that might say the, sure. the Southerners are are hillbillies mm-hmm. or something. But we live in Ohio, dude. I don't see any difference between me and someone from Tennessee or, oh, no, or Alabama. I there's a, a. I think that there are a ton of people who live in Ohio who look at the South and are like, no, that's, those are rough fucking rednecks down there. Do you think that falls under the guideline, like under the umbrella of um, racism? Like, like, like you have somebody from the North who thinks that people in the South are not as compassionate and they're probably, you know, more bigots down there. You think it's one of those sorts of things? Yeah. Something like that. So I'll tell you, I'll tell you why I, I've never been really to the deep South. I've been to, uh, I spent some time in Missouri. I spent some time in Tennessee. Um, I've never, re- in Florida, I've never really been in any of the places where you think about, like Alabama or Georgia or places like that. But when I was in Tennessee, I have to say, my experience was completely opposite yeah. to what I would have expected. I went, to, I went to Tennessee, and I spent some time there, and just people watching, I noticed White people and black people were way more intermixed. They were way more mingling socially than what you see, what I'm used to seeing here in, in Ohio. Um, I don't know where you were, but I've been to Tennessee as well. And I think one thing that you have to take into consideration is where I was, was a tourist trap. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that's, that, that's all. That, yeah, and where I was was, was a tourist trap, too, and there's no telling whether the people I was seeing were locals. But what I saw were uh, groups of people of mixed races hanging out together, mm-hmm. holding hands, walking yep. down the street, eating at the same table. And, oh, it, yeah. and it, was, it was prevalent in a way that I don't see where I'm from in the quote-unquote north even, even today. 
Yeah. So my my feeling when I was down there was that where I was in Tennessee in any ways, and it was pretty rural, that it was way more community based, and that pe- people didn't um, put value in those arbitrary differences. Where in the north, where I live, where it's supposed to be more, you know, evolved, I don't yeah, see as much of that. Uh, definitely, we self segregate in the north more. Uh, I've well, I mean, I don't know, but. I've heard that from people who are Southern, that uh, the idea that the South is more racist is ridiculous. That they, They've been living together for longer, and um, there's more intermingling and things like that. Yeah, so. that's consistent with what I saw. I, I sort of think that there's probably some truth in that. Yeah, I heard uh, this guy Jim Goad said that. Uh, he's got a book. What the fuck is that book called? It's not Black Liberal, White Redneck, or no, White... Black, black <laughs> redneck, white liberal. That's yeah. a Thomas Sowell book. What oh. the? F- oh, it's the Redneck Manifesto. Okay, it's a good book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what 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 does he talk about? Oh, it's just things like that. Uh, uh, it's a it's about um, the portrayal of poor white people mm. as uh, compared to the portrayal of black people in media and news and things like that. Mm. Um, basically. Basically, the the point of that book is that poor white people are, you know, they've got it as bad as anyone, mm. and there's no sympathy for them at all, ever. That's true. That's very true. Um, yeah, yeah, man. It's like we we use that we use the word minority in like the social dialogue to mean poor people. Uh, it's really what what we do because the types of things that we are are not criticizing but the types of things that we're pointing out as a problem socially is that there are people living in um very low income situations where nutrition is an issue where healthcare is an issue where you know single parent households are are an issue where crime is high things like that and all these things that I'm saying people will just think black communities black communities black communities right but that's not what we're talking about we're talking about poor communities and Everything I just said applies equally to those poor white white communities and poor black communities or communities that are mixed, that are low income. Exactly the same problems, you know? Yep. It's, you know, it's interesting that we pr- pretend there aren't poor white people that suffer the same um, social problems that poor minority groups suffer. It's like, where's, where's the sympathy for them? Yeah. You know? That's an in- interesting point, man. Yep. Uh, another thing he talks about in that book is, you know, there's the slavery thing. Obviously, that uh, they point that people who, when when you ask why, you know, black people as uh, in general are not making as much money, things like that, mm-hmm. um, higher crime rates, higher prison rates, things like that. Uh, when you ask why that is, um, you know. A lot of people will point to slavery, uh, and in that book, he Jim Goad talks about how white people, a lot of the white people who came over here, came over here as slaves. Yeah, that's that's something you don't talk about either. I mean, I, obviously, there's a difference between uh, indentured servitude, permanent slavery, mm-hmm. and, and indentured servitude. Um, but I don't know, man. I think that the daily lives of indentured servants and the daily lives of black slaves in the South, let's say, were probably very similar. You know. Mm-hmm. Really, really backbreaking work. Um, you, 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 your time and 
and body belong to somebody. I mean, that's that's slavery. Any way you chuck it up, man. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you think about things like um, coal mining back in the day when they would pay them in company script, and they oh, could yeah. only like the only thing that they could, the only place they could shop was the company store. Mm-hmm. It was company currency. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, they're slaves. That makes me wonder too about the uh, Chinese labor building the railroads. Mm. It's like I don't really know the history there. I probably should, but I wonder if if that was tantamount to slavery. You know, the the Chinese immigrants in the West, um, very poor. You know, they were inscripted to work very very hard, long, grueling. You know, uh, uh, you know periods of time, um, laying laying track, and that was really really hard work, like coal mining, like picking cotton or whatever Mm -hmm. and uh, I imagine that they were probably compensated very poorly Um, but I don't know if that was uh, fair to call that slavery I just wonder how close that was because you hear about that I bet you it was pretty close I bet it was pretty close yeah yeah Mm. but I don't know Jim Goad he says a lot of controversial stuff to be fair yeah but he says a lot of stuff that's pretty uh, pretty smart and right on Mm. too and just because something's controversial doesn't mean that it's not right, too. So that's something worth considering. Anything new in the in the Russian Russian uh, Ukraine front you want to talk about? I don't. Not I. I haven't heard much about it. I haven't been like paying that much attention yeah. to be honest with you. Yeah, I think there was something in the news about that, uh, but I can't remember exactly what it was. Oh, I know what it was. <laughs> what the, was it? The Rush. The Russians have come out publicly. And stated that it was the British Navy that destroyed the the Nord Stream pipeline. Oh, interesting. Now that is int- it's scary actually. Yeah. Because if a foreign government publicly makes a statement like that, it's a message to the people of the of Russia that there was a an act of war. You could argue against the Russians by the British by the. United Kingdom. I don't know. I don't even know. I don't know. I don't even know what de- designator say, yeah. is appropriate. Because uh, I want to say I want to say British or English, but I guess United Kingdish. United Kingdish. Yeah, that's what we're going to start calling it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. No, that's interesting. I wonder if that's true or if that's yeah. the old, the good old fashioned Russian disinformation that you uh, that you hear about. You know what? What? purpose or benefit strategically do you think the Russians would have by suggesting that it was the British? I don't know. I don't either. Unless it's a justification for attacking them or for uh, sanctioning them in some way economically. I, I just don't know. Like, why would you say that? It is scary. It seems like these people... It seems like they've, they're they gunning for World War Three. you know? It seems like they're trying to push it in that direction. Yeah. Some pe- some people seem to be. I don't know. It seems like Putin might be one of them, but I don't know. I don't know. You know. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know that I see Putin as the one pushing it. To be honest with you, um, just like looking back historically, I mean, we're the side who's been constantly not living up to the things we agreed to mm. for decades at this point. So I don't know. I just don't. I don't. I mean, obviously Putin was pushing it a little bit when he actually invaded Ukraine. But up until then, I feel like we've been the the people pushing. Yeah. Yeah, you never get a fair uh, 
summary uh, or a fair understanding of your own country's involvement in world affairs like this because we I'm not saying we live in China where they where the government is like monitoring the news you know to that level but yeah well yeah I mean good point I I mean good point I don't know either Um, but you just never hear the criticisms or you never hear the um, other side of the coin within the umbrella where you're where you're in so we never from the American perspective we only ever hear world world affairs from the American perspective, you know? True. It's also interesting with history. We talked about that before, but it'd be interesting to like read old history books or history books um, from other countries and to see how they talk about events that you know, we only hear from the American lens. Like, what do, what do the German textbooks say about World War I? Mm-hmm. You know? What, what did they say about World War I, you know, 50 years ago? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah. I wonder about like I'll, I'll tell you this. I told you before that my uh, oldest daughter, she started watching these documentaries about ancient Egypt. She's 5 years old at the time and she's like really enamored by it. And I could not be more proud to see it because I always had similar interests as a kid, but I didn't expect it because she's a girl. And so, you know, whatever, maybe those that's my own biases you kicking sexist. in. But I never expected it because she's a girl. And um Yesterday, she gets home from uh, going to church with her aunt and uncle, and um, she's walking in the door holding her tablet. She's so enamored by what she's watching that she can't she can't put it down. She's walking into the house. She's sitting on the couch. She's watching this thing, and all of her attention, 100% on this thing, and I'm hearing only the audio, and it's like the driest documentary uh, narr- narration, you know? Yeah. And I'm like, how in the world could this be entertaining my daughter? I look over at it, and it's all about the history of ancient China. It's about the, the first Qin emperor, you know, that unified the unified the uh, the Chinese tribes, whatever you call them at the time, uh, the the dynasties. That's cool. Yeah, and she was super into it. She was like, you know, they they built the the pyramid as the tomb for the emperor, and that's where the terracotta armies were. And it's like a little miniature palace that was built in the tomb, and the water around the palace was was a uh, liquid um, mercury. Did you know that? Like it was, I didn't know. That. Oh, dude. It's so cool. It's so cool. It's like they made this perfect scale replica inside the tomb of, like, I don't know if this is probably wrong. I want to say the Forbidden City because it's probably wrong. But whatever whatever was the, the temple complex, the, um, the, the, the city, the, uh, the capital of the, of the Qin dynasty, and the water, the water in, this, in this miniature city is, is liquid mercury. That's crazy. I want to say that maybe... Yeah, I want to say maybe that they... Point is, it's super, super toxic, obviously, to have all that mercury in there. Um, and she's just watching this. Her little mind is blown. And that's how I used to be, man, uh, when I was exposed to, like, how deep history goes, how many people have come before us, and the high points of civilization that are buried in the deep past that you, you, we barely even know about anymore. And when you see them, you're just like, Fuck! It blows the top off of your head, and my yeah. and my little girl is like experiencing that. Um, I don't know why I started telling you the story. It was a reason for it. Oh, history books. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, the, the reason I bring all that together is that like I wonder if you go to some place like China, where the impact of all of the most important um, events of the Western timeline aren't really not important at all. 
what it's like if you're if you're learning history in China. What do you care about Alexander the Great? What do you care about the Roman Empire? What do you care about the Indus Valley civilization or the Babylonians or Sumerians? What, what do you care about the Celts or the Germanic tribes? What do you care about? What do you care about Christopher Columbus? Mm-hmm. You know, your history is so different. And I just wonder what that's like. That must be fascinating, man. It's also fascinating to see how they would depict our civilization. Imagine the perspective of the Chinese that have a civilization that goes back 4,000 years. And they look at our country that has a civilization. We have a history of 200 years. Yeah, it's crazy. They must think, as powerful as we are, we're like the snot-nosed teenagers on the world stage. Yeah. And I just think it must be interesting to, to hear their perspective. Would be. Yeah. Should get someone on. A Chinese person. <laughs> but it's probably similar in India. It's similar in Southeast Asia. It's, it's got to be similar in lots of places where the history is just that far removed from us. You know, even in the Middle East, you know, if you separate the European tradition from the uh, from the Jewish Hebrew, um, you know, part of the part of our history, if you cut that off, the whole history of Iran, Iraq, Saudi Arabia, the Levant, Turkey, I, mean, I guess Turkey ha- had influence with Greece for sure. But beyond that, their history is pretty, pretty isolated, too, True. especially pre-Alexander. Yeah. You know, for sure. You go to a place like China. And the name Aristotle and Plato mean nothing, you know? Instead, they're going to talk about Lao Tzu and Lao Tse and Confucius. And, you know, they have their own sages. They have their own tradition. It's fascinating. They have their own language and writing system that's nothing like ours. It's just, it's just fascinating, man. It is. Some old-ass culture, man. You said 4,000 years? Yeah. It's old, man. Old. I wonder if our ignorance of their culture, how that measures up to their ignorance of ours. You know, like, is it, you think it's like your average Chinese person knows more about America and American history? I would have to guess because I think we export our culture a lot more than anywhere else in the world. It's true. That's what Daniel told me when I was talking to him. He said he watches a lot of TV because I asked him, like, you know. I was like, do you, do you guys have all the same streaming services that we have over there? He's like, yeah, yeah, of course we do. Uh, I'm like, do you watch a lot of TV? He's like, yeah, probably more than I, probably more than I should. Uh, he's like, you know what, though? We watch American TV. He's like, that's all we watch is American TV. It's funny because we watch a lot of British TV. I told him that, too. Okay. Yeah. Then I couldn't, really rem- I couldn't really think of any examples on the spot apart from, like, Monty Python, um, the British office, uh, some of those things. But um, I used to like this show that was on PBS called Are You Being Served? Yeah. It was an old show. I, I think, I don't know, I think it probably came out in like the 70s. Mm. Um, it was about the staff of a haberdashery, like a department store. Yeah. Um, it was a good show. That's funny, know. man. Um, I, I like that show. Yeah. Yeah, I watched a show called The Detectorist, which is, um, it's got, uh, you remember the first Pirates of the Caribbean Um the, the there was the there was the short fat balding villain and then the taller villain yes. with the fake eye, yes. the guy with the fake eye. By the way, he was also in the British Office. Uh, he was Dwight's character. Got it. Um, he is in that show, Detectorist, and it's about two amateur metal detectors that live in this um, rural, you know, village in England somewhere. I don't know, and uh, you know, like the Vikings have have a history of. Uh, coming over there in the burials and sometimes they'll find treasure buried over there sometimes they'll find hordes of viking gold uh, 
So that's what that's what these people do. They they have like a little um, like a little group. Uh, you could just imagine this is like a rural community, and they have like a like a little group, and there's like six people in the community that give a shit about it, and so they meet. You know, uh, one day a week at the pub, and they get together and talk about where they're metal detecting, and you know, blah 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 blah. And um, anyway, it's just about their adventures. And uh, does it make you want to join a group like that, being that you have a metal detector? <laughs> I would. Yeah, I would. Uh, the idea of looking, going out looking for treasures, just is super, super appealing. I yeah, mean, man. it's especially just, if you find some. Especially if you find some. Fucking a. Yeah. Uh, what else? There was a there was a British show called. Um, I said, no, I'm never gonna remember it, man. Uh, fuck. Anyway, um, <laughs> there's just a handful of a handful of British shows that I really really enjoyed. Even one stupid one that I like is uh, it's called Merlin. We've talked about it before. Me and my wife, before we were married, we would uh, watch it sometimes, and it was just like this ridiculous sort of like low budget sci fi channel type show. I'm uh, pretty sure it was a BBC show, though, and uh, it's just about Merlin. It's about Merlin as a kid, and and how he met <laughs> how he met King Arthur and all the shenanigans that go on. And it's just terrible. It's like something that you would see on the WB. You know, it's like uh, like Charmed or something like one of those terrible shows. But it was so goofy um, that it, I enjoyed it. You know, Merlin. Merlin. Yeah. I have to look into that. that you probably sounds... you probably don't want to, but no, I enjoyed it. I think I might. <laughs> I think I might. Um, I like King Arthur shit, you know. Even yeah. If it is stupid. <laughs> Even if it is stupid, <laughs> I should asked. I should ask Daniel about that. Like uh, Arthurian. Like, legend. You know, it's like legendary characters that are culturally significant. Yeah. You know, like you could sort of put Abraham Lincoln and George Washington in that category here. They're almost mythical. You know, they're almost mythical, especially George Washington. Um. And then uh, King Arthur is maybe, maybe mythical, maybe real, maybe some combination of the two. But I wonder, like, how much uh, attachment um, English people have to that idea. Like, do they have pride in that idea, or is it just an interesting story like it is to us? Like an interesting hero story, you know? Yeah. We try to have shit like that here, but our culture is just so much younger than theirs, it's hard, you know? Mm. Like Paul Bunyan. That's true, yeah. But even that goes back such a long way. It's like uh, those, uh, what do they call them? Tall, tall tales, what do they call them? Um, tall tales, I don't know. Whatever they call them. The Paul Bunyan and the Johnny Appleseed and yeah, the, tall tales. Uh, all that stuff. Um, I think that those stories were more likely to be told in the early days, right? It's like a tradition of fairy stories and mythology from Europe that we brought with us, you know? Uh, because you don't see those sorts of things being made up now you you know and True. and and do you even tell those stories to to your kids i mean i know you don't have kids but do you ever te- do you hear people I tell those stories to like random kids to random kids like, you're like hey, hey. You ever heard of paul bunyan <laughs> uh boy paul bunyan was the was the one that was um in competition with the uh, machine to build the railroad oh, that was um that was not paul bunyan Who's that? that was uh who was that man i can't remember his name it's blackfeller uh, blackfeller yeah um Hold on, John man. Henry. John Henry, yeah, John, Henry. John. That's another one of those. Yeah. yeah, was John Henry a real guy? I think he was a real guy, but yeah. I'm not sure. I think he was a real, like a, a railroad worker. Yeah, Johnny Appleseed was a real guy. 
No, he wasn't. I think he was. I don't think he was. <laughs> he could be made up. But I, I, I think the story of Johnny Appleseed... Nobody's name is Johnny Appleseed. <laughs> no, no, his name is definitely not Johnny Appleseed. Johnny something or other. Um, I think he might have been like a rich kid. Oh, yeah? He's a trust fund baby? I could be making this up. Fucking yuppie. It's like going the, around planting fucking apples. It's like the Teddy oh, Roosevelt, the Teddy Roosevelt, the Teddy Roosevelt story. It's like his, the story of his life was a story of like trying to be a tough guy, like trying trying to prove that he was a tough guy. Yeah, you know, he did a pretty good job. He did a pretty, he did a pretty damn good job. Yeah. Teddy Roosevelt, he he really he was like maybe he's like the rich kid. You know what I mean? Yeah, he's probably like the rich kid. I think. Yeah, he really did. He really did it up. You yeah, know? went on safaris. Yeah, went to war. That's I mean, that's crazy. Right. Yeah, he had enough money to 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 buy all the best toys, including an army of his buddies to take over to Cuba or wherever they went. Cubano, isn't that isn't that wasn't that the uh, the Rough Riders? Thing? Yeah, Cuba, right? I think it yeah, was Mexico. Huh? Maybe it was Mexico. Let's see how dumb Americans are, guys. We don't even know if we don't even know if the Rough Riders were in Cuba or Mexico. I'm pretty sure it was Cuba. San Juan Hill? San Juan? San Juan, Puerto Rico. Oh, that's Puerto Rico. Oh, shit. Maybe it was Puerto Rico. No, maybe it was Puerto Rico. I don't know. Americans don't even know our own history. I think he was definitely involved with, like, uh, the thing with uh, that caused the, the war with Spain. I, there was a ship that exploded. The... Uh, the USS Liberty. Oh no, that was Israel. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, um, no, it was um. What was it? Um, what was that ship? It was just on the tip of my tongue, man. It's not the Liberty. Uh. Uh-uh. Ah. Don't know. I don't know, but you guys should look up the USS Liberty. That's an interesting story. Well, tell me the story. It's just uh, I don't have the facts, so I don't want. I want to, you know. Yeah, I know what you mean. But it's interesting. You guys should go look up the facts, the cold hard facts. What was that ship though? That's gonna really bother me. I want to know. The main? I think it was the main. Yeah, I was gonna say, is it one of those things? Remember the like re- the name of the ship? Remember the main? The main? I think. Um, it's... Um, but anyways, it exploded, and just like ran. They don't know why it exploded, and that caused the Spanish American War. Basically, it was like mm. the kicking off point. Interesting. Um, and I think that was in Cuba. And he was like involved. I don't know if he was president at that point or what, but mm. I don't think he was. I think he was like in like the under cabinet or you know, under, I don't know. If under cabinet is a word, <laughs> he was in the undercarriage of yeah, the White was, House. He was definitely in the undercarriage <laughs> at that point. Oh boy, oh boy. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I was trying to think up some uh, American history questions just to embarrass both of us on the podcast. Uh, I don't know, man. We might do pretty good. We might. We should take one of those, like, man on the street. You know, like, they ask them just basic questions. We should, instead, we should take the test that they take for citizenship. Oh, fuck. And see if we could if we could be American citizens if, if we know enough. Yeah. I wonder how many regular people would fail that test. Regular citizens. Tons of them. Who are third, fourth generation, you know? Yeah. Tons. Tons, I bet. Um... That's another thing is uh, uh, Daniel was asking me about um, what Americans think of British people because I, because I asked him what I said. I, well, I didn't ask him exactly. I said, I imagine, because this is the way the media makes it seem, that in Europe and in the rest of the world, Americans are viewed as uh, fat and lazy and uh, rude, you know? And that's what we're like. So I asked him, uh, you know, what his opinion was of Americans, and he asked what 
Amer- what the American generalizations are of British people, and you would have been great to have on at that time. But I told yeah. him, I told him that I think about. I was, well, first of all, I said I think that Americans see themselves as like cousins with with the British. You know, we speak the same language, we share the same legal tradition, we came from the colonies. Um, you know, pe- people here treat the uh, the death of the Queen, let's say, like it's a um, like it's a significant cultural event. There are people here that are weeping, you know. Um, so there's there's a, a still a really close connection between the Americans and the British that we I see them as industrious because well they invented financial markets because they had a huge empire you know the East India Trading Company and the you know the best navy in the world and all this stuff the slave trade all the stuff that they did that made them hugely rich and powerful and then the accents make Americans think that they're intelligent we think somebody with the British accent is immediately you know 20 IQ points higher than your average American that's my take yeah I think that is a, a, a good general American take, you know. But you have some different feelings about it. Yeah, well, I mean, like you said, we think that the uh, the accent fools a lot of people mm-hmm. and makes us think that they're smart. They're not smart. I mean, they're no smarter than anyone else, you know. Exactly. Um, there are smart ones. Yeah, you know, there's smart English people mm-hmm. uh, or, you know. United Kingdish people. United Kingdish, yeah. Um, all of them. You know, they got smart people. But they got a whole lot of dumb fucks, too. Yeah. And to shine the light on our dumb fucks and ignore your dumb fucks is really fucking annoying. To, to be this, like, these, like, high and mighty, we're so much more evolved, we're so much more... You know, over over here in Europe, we got we really got things figured out. We got civilization dialed in. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a load of bullshit. Yeah, it's uh, I hate it. It's <laughs> really irritating. You know, to me. you know where I first started seeing like contrary uh, um, representations of the like intellectual British elite type person, aristocratic type person was uh, when I started watching British TV. I remember um, there was a show... As an idiot. <laughs> there was a show called Kids. I think it was called Kids. About a bunch of like teen, like young teenagers and it was like, you know, they were doing drugs and having sex and like, you know, it was just like a teen... Is it Kids? Like a, Is it the... It's me, Casper. No, not that, that one. That not, no, not that one. Okay. I think I it was called it was Kids. A British it was many, many seasons. It was, a, it was kind of... It was like just about just people with terrible, terrible trauma in their lives and, and you know, try, trying to grow up and all that. And... Um, <clears throat> and there were like, well, kids in the show. Kids aren't as articulate, let's say, as adults generally, and they say dumb shit. And uh, I so I got little images of like dumb kids with a British accent for the first time. I'm like, oh, you're an idiot. And um, even uh, even watching like um, just just basically watching British TV and seeing examples of like bullies like like gangster type folks on the street get, giving people a hard time just things that i associate with you know um crime and social poverty in my country to see it in the uk where i used to have this blinder of like this aristocratic victorian like image in my mind um to see the reality it's like oh my god all the worst parts of culture that you see around you, they have it over there too with a British accent, man. Yeah. And they have it everywhere. Everywhere. You know? It is interesting. It is interesting. 
How about the French? What are the stereotypes, American stereotypes about the French? They stink. I've heard that, yeah. In, in what stink. way? Stink. In what way? Like they don't Body wear odor. They don't wear deodorant? Smelly ass frogs, dude. And they don't shave their armpits, right? They the women don't shave their the women don't shave their armpits. I've heard that. You know, I was thinking the other day that until like the manufacturing of, you know, pretty I don't know, like, when did razors become widely available, like, to, to where women started shaving their armpits? It couldn't have been... It's a good question. It's probably... Super not, early. Uh, it's probably difficult to do with a straight razor, like your, like your yeah. old-fashioned barber would use. It's probably what you'd have to use, but... I wonder how... Com- is America... I wonder if America is unusual. If it's like, this is the place where women shave their pits and every guy is circumcised. Like, this is the place on earth where that's true and no, but nowhere else. Like, it seems like, where else is that true? You know, That's a good question. But, uh, because we export our culture everywhere, and they see all the Baywatch girls with shaved armpits and whatever, maybe other countries just say, "Oh yeah, that that's better. Let's start doing Euro- that." It seems like a European thing for sure to, to not shave your armpits. Because here in this country, no, no, no. I oh. think I think certain parts of Europe, Europea, <laughs> Europa, Europa, uh, certain parts uh, of it seem like not shave your armpits types, and yeah. other parts seem like shave your armpits types. Which. Which is the country you think is the most most hairy armpit ladies in Europe? It's a good question. I'm gonna go out on a uh, limb and say Bulgaria. Bulgaria, yeah, I bet you there's some hairy pits in Bulgaria. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking Italy. I don't know why. Yeah, maybe, maybe just a bunch of dirty Italian ladies not shaving their armpits. That's unfair. They don't yeah. have to be dirty. Yeah, this is uh, this is just an observation, and it's probably wrong, but it seems to me like. Uh, if you look at like how hairy people are, especially how hairy women are, because you notice, right? You notice if a woman is hairy when, because you kind of feel like they shouldn't be. You notice it more. Yeah. Um, it seems like you know, like the Native Americans and the Asian populations. Obviously, um, it's like the men the men don't grow as much facial hair as they do in Europe and African places like that, and uh, the women also seem to be just very hairless, <laughs> very like naturally hairless. But if you go to the Mediterranean. Or if you go to the Middle East, how do you know that? Well, this is what this is what I mean. It's um, observational. But the people that I've known that were Italian, like I went to high school with a girl who was a second generation Italian. Shout out to Rita, and um, she had like sideburns, kind of things, and she had like a like dark hair on her arms, like darker than you. But if you look at if you look at somebody from um, Japan, or if you look at somebody from Sweden. Those girls, to me, they all seem like they're just naturally less hairy. Yeah. But I could be wrong. My, my wife is a Scandinavian type, and she's also got that really fine blonde hair. And it's like even if she doesn't shave, you almost don't notice. But it doesn't come in thick, you know? Um, this, is a weird, this is a weird change of subject. Yeah. Talking about women's body hair. I didn't really see this one coming today, but, you um, know. Hold on. Let me finish this, th- this thought. So there was Rita. She was Italian. There was um, another lady, uh, the only family that, that I uh, went to school with that were um, from the Middle East. Um, she was similar. Um, she was similar. Just You just notice, maybe it's because the hair is dark. Maybe that's why. But you do notice um, certain parts of the world where the, the women's, maybe just the people in general, but you notice the women are, look a little bit hairier, man. I don't know what to say. Yeah. Yeah. More, <laughs> more stereotypes for you. Is it a stereotype if it's true? It's a good question. Is if it's I guess if it's not true 100% of the time, it's a stereotype. I guess. 
if it's true 100% of the time, then it's a fact. Is it a stereotype to say that, like, Arab women tend to be more noticeably hairy? I don't know that that's a stereotype. I think that that's, that seems to me to be an obvious truth. Yeah, I, I noticed that. But again, maybe it's just because the... Again, not all. But, you know, that's the thing. They do have very dark hair there, but they so do they. They also have very dark hair in Asian populations, and it seems like they're pretty hairless, you know. True. I don't know. Maybe the maybe the perception of them being hairless is more artificial than you realize that it is. Could be. I uh, yeah. Could could very well be. Yeah. I know that they're big on um, plastic surgery and stuff over there. Yeah, there's some weird stuff. Um, I've seen uh, shows. Um, I, I can't remember if this was in, uh, if this was in China, Japan, Korea, where it was. But the guys, a lot of the guys, will get surgery to extend their legs. To they break the bones on on purpose. They they slowly separate the bone That's and insane. let it heal so that they can become taller over time. You know, they can How get. How much height can you get? Not much, but but a little bit. And then there's you can the, put some fucking lifts in your shoes. Then there's the women, the women that uh, are do the eyelid surgeries over there. There's lots yeah, of places where they they, they they really chop themselves up over there. Yeah, that's not good. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I definitely think that's not good, man. Um, it must have it must it must have to do with like you say, America exporting our culture and it being popular um, everywhere, and then they see on the television nothing but like european eyelids um yeah well I, I mean all cultures apart from certain asian groups have eyelids like that right i don't know of any others yeah so it's like uh they want to fit in and they're like i mean i i don't know how far away that is from the conversation of uh you know transgendered uh reassignment surgery we've had that discussion before like how, how far away is that from that type of a thing it's a good question I don't. I don't know that I would say that it it constitutes some kind of like mental illness that they want to that they want to do that, because um, because we have that conversation about the transgendered uh, debate, like whether whether there's any issue uh, deeper psychological issue that has to be considered. I don't know. I think it's more vanity, um, the eyelid thing. I don't know. Yeah, it seems like a vanity thing. I'd I put, think they want they all want to look like anime characters or something. You know. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, that's weird. It is weird. Um, did, yeah, I don't know. did you hear? Did you hear? Uh, was it Jordan Peterson? Probably. Somebody got somebody got shit for saying. Oh no, it was uh, who's Matt Walsh? Uh, Matt Walsh said something about anime being demonic. Oh yeah. And then the whole fucking world of of anime people got upset about that. Um, well, it's weird for a couple reasons. Firstly, anime has gotten pretty mainstream, like so much mainstream to the point where like. You've got lots and lots and lots of options of streaming anime on Netflix, and they're all adult series and movies, you know? Yeah. Um, there's lots and lots. It seems like it's really popular. When I was growing up, it was very fringe. Anime was very fringe. And when um, when uh, fucking uh, Matt Walsh said that it was demonic, I'm just, I'm just thinking about the early days of anime, and I'm like nodding my head. Like you bet your ass it's demonic. Oh, yeah. It's supposed to be demonic. That's what makes it cool. Like I never, so, I never. My my cousin uh, was into anime, and uh, I used to go over to his to his house. And sometimes if he wasn't home, shout out to my cousin Luke, I would uh, I would go up into his room and 
put a put his anime VHSs in the player and sit there and watch anime. Um, and my, my my mom and my aunt were none the wiser that I was up there watching what I was watching. And I don't have to get too explicitly graphic here, but in the early days of anime, it was like first of all, it was like watching a Skinamax uh, movie. There right. was there was sex scattered throughout every episode, yeah. and it was the most graphic shit you've ever seen in your life. So the villains were always terrible creatures and monsters that were as gross and uh, off-putting as an artist's imagination would allow them to be. The craziest alien monsters you've ever seen in your life. And I remember many times seeing crazy alien monsters having sex with uh, little anime you know, princess women. Um, and it's creepy, man. You were I, mean, I think you were watching hentai, dude. <laughs> yeah, probably. But this was in the early days, man, when there wasn't such a fine line. Um, like this goes back. This goes back to the uh, to the late eighties, basically. Yeah. Um, you know, like there are some like Vampire Hunter D, which are classics. You know, as far as anime goes, um, it doesn't have much of that. Um, and then there's others like um, uh, like all those early. Um, what was it, Robotech, all those early animes of, like, mechs and stuff, that pretty, pretty free of that sort of stuff. But a lot of the stuff that, that my cousin had in that in that uh, VHS collection was, it was a hero, a group of heroes, fighting monsters, having sex with monsters. That's what it was. That's what every fucking thing was. Yeah. It wasn't like you were watching a porn because there was a story to it, and the sex was supplementary, right? The sex was just in there to make it more titillating. Um, there was a story, and that was the you know the main driver of the narrative. It wasn't about sex, but it was in every fucking video. Yeah, you know, interesting. I never really got into anime that much. I liked Dragon Ball Z a little. Yeah, you know? yeah. More other than that, I, I I've kind of always felt like uh, anime is we're on YouTube now, so I have to be careful. Yeah, but um, <laughs> anime likes guys. You know what I'm saying? Oh. See, that's news to me. I haven't watched anime in so long. It's news to me. I mean, that's just how I feel. Yeah. I, you know, I just don't... It, like. I feel like the people who are into anime generally... I mean, I'm sure there's cool ones. Like, you liked anime. You're yeah. my best friend. Yeah, yeah. But um, generally, the people who are into, an, into anime are, like, not the type of people that I want to hang out with. Yeah, there are exceptions. There are people who who have like anime avatars on Twitter, and they're pretty cool. Yeah, but a lot of them are just like repulsive. See, I, I found it's probably true, but I found that to be very true when we were kids. The only people that knew about anime could get a hold of it were, uh, weird. were weird. Yeah, um, you know, probably my cousin was no exception to that. They were usually nerdy and smart and resourceful, um, and didn't have a lot of friends and uh, got like into watching weird, monsters fuck people. Got into weird shit. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, but now it seems like it's got broader appeal. I'm like, you know, um, Eddie's a huge fan of anime. Yeah. You know? Yes. Yeah, he's not a weird guy. He's the exception. But, you, you know. Eddie's a weird guy. Let's be fair. <laughs> Eddie is a weird guy. In the best way well, possible. In the best way possible. He definitely fits into the into the nerd category, but uh, but only barely. I mean, I think that... Would you say only barely? Well, let's see. It's like just... It's hard, it's, hard to re- it's hard to reconcile because... It's hard to reconcile because when I was growing up, um, I always saw Eddie. He was a little older, right? So when I was a kid and we rode the bus together, I always saw Eddie as kind of cool. You know, he sat he sat in the on the back in the yeah, back but seat. You're a nerd. Yes, but I, and but but Eddie's kind of it was. I don't know if he was, but 
kind of is now, right? Yeah, um, that's my point. But I didn't know that about him. Uh, he, my perception of him. saw the bulletproof vest. I saw the bulletproof vest. It's fucking cool. Yeah, you know, like, yeah. um, you know, and first of all, this was a, you know, the 90s, early 2000s is sort of like, um, I don't know if I'd call it a gold, the golden age of, of hip hop, but it was the time when it started to permeate the culture in a big way. Yeah. And, um, and so Eddie was a black guy. And that kind of made him cool, just because, just because, right? And he wore the bulletproof vest, like all the like all the gangster rappers we had told that story. That's pretty fucking cool. And uh, he was quiet, and it ma- and it made me feel like he was. See, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, you know that like quiet, mysterious type, the person that only talks when he has something to say. You know that there's something like noble about that, and that's how I perceived Eddie. I saw I saw him as a very it's a cool fucking samurai. Very, it's a very cool guy. Yes. Yeah. Then when I got to know him. I'm playing Dungeons and Dragons with him, watching anime, you know. See what I mean? It's hard to reconcile those two things. I don't think so, man. I think that, like, so even about rap, Eddie is a nerd. Yeah. I mean, Eddie likes... <laughs> Shout uh, out to Eddie. Eddie likes, you know, the heady rap, you know. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure Eddie likes a wide variety of rap, but I know that Eddie likes, like, lyricists mm-hmm. and people, you know... Um, so he's kind of that's kind of nerdy in the scheme of like types of rap that you can like. <laughs> yeah. That is kind of nerdy. Sure. Yeah. 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 Um, and then the fact that he okay. So this is another thing: wearing the bulletproof vest like the rappers in the and whatever the gangster rap videos is cool, but it's also like right on the fucking line of being nerdy. That's true. Like wearing a bulletproof <laughs> vest to school. If the wrong guy does that, you're like, what are you fucking, take yeah. that off. It's also this close to LARPing, you know? He yeah. could he could have come to school with a bulletproof vest. True. Or a shield made out of cardboard, yeah. you know? You know what I mean? Like screaming magic spells. Uh, no disrespect, Eddie. Love you, man. Uh, so I think, and then, you know, speaking of magic spells, on top, oh, then being being the quiet the the quiet guy mm-hmm. it's kind of nerdy you know like it just kind of yes but i didn't have that perspective and you you also have to remember that eddie was always like uh you know he always had like beautiful women around like yeah. you know i don't know it's just there's reason that's definitely a mark in the cool factor for and eddie. and he lived on his own and had his own house at a very young very age cool. which was very cool yeah um, and he kind of had to be the boss, especially when his when his little brother uh, moved in with him. He kind of had to be dad, and he had to be the boss, and that gave him an authority. And it was his house, so he also had an authority. Like if you know, if Eddie got mad, that was serious. Yeah. Um, all that made him made him seem cool. Yep. Yeah. But I just think that Eddie is pretty firmly in the nerd category. He's also pretty firmly cool. I think Eddie's well, pretty firmly well, cool. Well, nerds are cool now. That's true. It reminds me of uh, watching Twenty One Jump Street when that movie first came out, mm-hmm. and that scene where uh, where uh, what's what's the guy's name? Uh, Magic Mike guy. What's his name? Um, Channing Tatum. Ch- Ch- handsome Channing Tatum, and he comes walking into school. He comes walking into school with his backpack on, with the one strap, and all the other all the other you know modern kids have both straps on, with their shirts tucked in. They're walking in, looking all you know nerdy, and uh, he, what, he he immediately punches some dude to try to be tough, and people are like, what? What are you doing, man? Yeah. It's like night and day, the culture. And that cracks me up because it's true, man. Like, like what it was like to be a kid growing up when we were, and this is probably true with every generation, right? What it was like to be a kid when we were growing up versus what it's like now in school, night and day. Can you imagine transplanting your 13-year-old self into middle school today? I don't know, man. 
or your 15 year old self into high school? I started noticing it with my brother, Colin, Mm -hmm. you know, because he was, I'm 11 years older than him. Yeah, yeah. um, I started noticing that kind of stuff, like differences. Um, And I think, uh, I think things like 9 11 had a lot to do with it, you know, like just the ratcheting up of security and things like that. What did you notice that was different about his experience or? Like signing in and signing out, doors always locked, Uh. you know. That was not like you could walk right into the high school when I was in high school. You know? Yeah, it's funny. It's funny, but did you have to carry IDs? No, it's funny, man. They gave us IDs, and I think you were supposed to carry them, but I, I don't, I don't think I did. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think anyone really did. So we we used to we we had to carry IDs in high school. So from freshman year all the way through, we had to carry picture IDs that were school IDs, but we didn't have metal detectors. We didn't have security on site, <clears throat> but we did have a policeman that would come in to the school multiple times a day. Police resource officer. Probably. Yeah. And if there was ever kids that were in real trouble, um, like I remember this story. There was this kid in school. His name was, oh, man. Derek. No, not Derek. Ba- Barry? I can't remember. Barry. It was definitely Barry. It, That's like uh, oh, no. His last name. His last name was Barry. Oh. Sorry. Um, he's actually. Barry's one of my favorite names, just so you know. Barry? Yeah. I, love, I think it's the, one of the funniest names. The kid that I'm thinking of is actually. Barry. Is actually dead. He committed suicide. Oh, that sucks. Uh, but he was this. Re- he was this really tough kid. Uh, if I and this Not that tough. this might be a, an unfair generalization, but he was. Uh, he came across as a. Um, a trailer park kid. He was a tough kid. He was a scrappy kid. He came across as maybe not being very smart, probably because he didn't do well in school, but maybe because he wasn't very smart. I don't know. But he was um, kind of a corn-fed, big, white dude. And um, he was always getting in fights, and he was always... He had he was... Um, he could tell us his home life was probably not great. And I remember one time that a policeman came in and was um, talking to, to the kid, I can't remember the circumstances, but what I do remember is this kid who was 15 years old was pointing his finger in the cop's face, stepping to him, yelling at him with this look in his eyes like he would give any other kid who stepped to him at school that he would whoop their ass. He was doing that to the policeman, and I remember thinking to myself, whoa, this guy does not give a shit. He's a whole different type of human being. This guy doesn't recognize authority at all, he, you know. It's one of those one of those Hobbesian, you know, Leviathan motherfuckers, man. That's uh Did you have any of those in school? Um, I definitely I mean, I had kids who acted like that for sure, mm. and maybe they would have done that given the opportunity, mm. but I never saw it. Yeah. I saw it, man. I saw it. <laughs> Uh, that same kid had a uh, situation in Spanish class one time, and this teacher, um, Mr. Kennedy was his name. He uh, he was Mr. a little Mr. Kennedy. Kennedy, yeah. He was a little guy, little, like probably like five seven, and he weighed like a buck twenty. You know, he was just like a little guy, and uh, yeah, that that same kid once got in his face, and yeah. it was like, he, I mean, the teacher had zero authority in that classroom at that time, and they're like standing face to face and. Uh, you know that David was that kid's name. He's like a foot taller than the teacher. Crazy, crazy. I remember he took him outside, out of the classroom, just to just to like try to diffuse, like all the eyeballs watching, just try to diffuse the situation. Yeah. It's like it's a, it is a there's a pride component, especially when you're a kid and you don't have any control over yourself. If somebody you know insults your your pride, you know, in some way, 
it's like, oh, that's a da- that's a ticking time bomb, man. That's a dangerous situation. You got to get the eyes off. You know, you got to take got to de- you know take some of the pressure out. I uh, I forget what I was gonna say. I had something that mm. slipped away. Though. Shit, can't remember. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, the teacher told David to go to the office, and David told the teacher to fuck you. Oh, what I was going to say. I saw a teacher and a student get in each other's faces like that once, too. Yeah. Um, But I thought, having seen it, I thought that the teacher should probably not be working there anymore. I I think he should have gotten fired. How did did he respond? He just, like... I just don't understand the escalation, like why you would get in a student's face, you know, like um, with like an open threat of like, I'll kick your ass. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's the way it's like, like he was squaring up. It's Mm. like, you're just, why would you, I mean. Was probably hoping to defuse the situation with a show of force and authority and it backfired on him. Yeah. You know, he was uh, going up against, uh, you know, like basically. A lot of the kids who would do things like this were, they were wiggers, basically. Yeah. You know, like, they, yeah. have a, they have a bad attitude. They're, like, bad kids a lot of the time. So uh, uh, that guy was not going to back down to a show of force. He was down for it. I, yeah. Yeah, I, knew, I knew him. He, he definitely would have. Yeah. Well, I think that makes uh, public school very, very difficult when, I mean, I don't know, man. I'd have to chalk it up to uh, those, the, those people having... Um, no discipline in their family life or maybe like too much discipline. Maybe they have abusive parents or something. There's some reason why those kids aren't respecting authority and so apt to be disruptive and, uh, you know, exert themselves, impose themselves and their will. You know, those people, they don't, they don't fit in to a social learning situation. They don't fit into, I don't know, man. I don't know if you can, like, get rid of those, if you can weed those people out by parenting or, like, you know, prevent that from ever happening. you probably can get rid of a lot of them. Maybe not all of them. You might have to. But I, that's just my theory is mm. that I bet you can. I think public schools are such a precarious thing in this country, man. True that. Like, my, my wife's experience in a public or a private school versus my experience. In, in fact, she, she spent her last two years of high school in public school after spending all her life in um, in private school and uh, she was going to the suburbs in a pretty decent school district and her reaction to that was complete and utter bafflement she, she said that people wouldn't listen to the teacher which is par for the course you know she didn't see that in private school because the classes were smaller, all the kids were respectful. They all came from you know good homes. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not. It's not. I don't know how to put this other than if you don't have a double income family, most people are not able to send your kids to private schools. Oh, no. So all those kids have two parents. All those kids have structure. All those kids have an interest in getting good grades because their parents are paying out of pocket for it. And there's a level of respect there that's required and demanded and the disrespect and the um you know uh disregard for the rules gets weeded out you know mm-hmm. if you have one bad apple you know you, you get him out you get him the fuck out of there or you punish him and everyone sees the example but if you have 20 percent bad apples 50 percent bad apples in your school good fucking luck yeah. and my wife was completely 
baffled by the fact that kids would backtalk a teacher, that kids would not do their assignments, that kids would uh, skip class. Like she couldn't even imagine it. She, she had a hard time understanding how the schools even function. And that's exactly right, man. I mean, test scores even in good schools in this country are terrible. They keep getting worse compared to, you know, other places. It's a, it's a complete shit show. And everyone acts like there's no solutions to the problem. And I... Well, we're not even really trying. No, we're we trying the same thing over and over and over again, which is dump more money on it. Yeah, dump more money on it. And I think the the um, large inner city schools, because city schools are the largest ones, that's where they have the biggest populations. That's that's like like things like class size, per, um, you know, compared to how many how many teachers you know are assigned to each kid and all that. Um, it's just like way more difficult to manage a big school, you know. Yeah, I, I you know I, I made the same argument about poli- the policing. Like, yeah. why do we? Why do you have a a big city with with a giant city police force? Why not break it up into seventy small ones and have community police force? Why not do that with schools? Yeah. You know. Yep. Uh, the school system's definitely fucked here. Uh, you you considered what you're going to do with the, your kids? Uh, well, my kids are in. Um, public school here, and this is fine for now. Yeah. The only thing that I think I want to do is, like right now, and I, I'm not really sure because the math, like like there's Common Core in their math already that she's learning in kindergarten and the first grade. Um, I don't resist it too, too much right now. Maybe I will later. But what I want to be careful about is what she's learning in social studies, what she's learning in government, what she's learning in health class. So yeah. I'm going to be, uh, uh, you know, the science and the math I think is pretty hard to um, uh, damage, you know? But everything else, I think I, I'm going to, like, look through the books, make sure I know what she's what she's learning and how they're positioning it, because I want to give her the other opinion if I think there's more to be, uh, to, you know, to be said on it. And nobody ever did that for me. Nobody ever... And there was a fair bit of indoctrination when we were kids, oh, yeah. especially in, like, social studies class. Yeah. Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Greatest president of all time. Yeah, that's, what, that's what it said. He's a hero. Um, yeah, man. So uh, I'm going to be, I'm going to, if, if it turns out that like there's stuff going on in schools that I object to too much to deal with, or I think it's a risk, um, I, I'll figure out a way of sending my kids to uh, private schools. It's not that expensive here to do it. There's a lot of private schools here. It seemed like there wasn't as many options from, you know, back home. Yeah. Um, and it was like only for rich kids. It, it doesn't really seem like that here. Yeah. You know? I mean, it, you definitely have to have some money, but. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would like to send, if I, you know, when and if I have kids, I would like to send them to a private, like, preferably like a Catholic school, I think. Yeah, I was going to ask you, like a, a religious school, you think? Yeah. That's what most of the private schools are. That's what my wife's was, <clears throat> you know? Yeah, where'd she go? Oh well, done it. Yeah, it was a Lutheran. It was a, it was a Lutheran school. Got it. Yeah, and it's interesting. I mean, those kids, those kids have um, Bible class, you know, and I think they have like um, rich, like religious rituals as a part of not rituals, but like they go to mass or whatever in a Catholic school or, or whatever. When I was, yeah, I went to Christian schools, and we would have at the second Christian school that I went to on Wednesdays, we had chapel. Chapel, Which yeah. Which was like just basically a church service. Yeah, you sing hymns. And was there like a sermon? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, so chapel. There was so, also Bible class. Yeah, I think that's good yeah. because a lot of kids miss that, 
you know, a lot of kids in the modern world, they miss that. They don't even, uh, you know, they don't learn even Bible stories very well. Some kids get the gist of it. They know who Noah and the ark is, even, even if they've never been to Sunday school. Maybe they have some of that basic information. But it's uh, it's important, man. Like if, if we have generations of kids that grow up that don't have knowledge of biblical stories, there's a lot of history that they won't be able to understand. There's a lot of art they won't be able to understand, you know? Yeah. Hold on a second. The mask. Oh, and the mask comes off. And the mask. You can keep talking. I can, I can hear you without the headphones. Comes off. Um, it's getting to be a bit much. Yeah, it seemed like it might be hot in there. It wasn't really that hot. It's, it's a rubber just, mask. I want to take a drink of water. That's, that's <laughs> the main reason I took it off. Yeah, okay. Um, one second here. Be good to go. So I'll I made bring, an hour and a half with the mask. That's, that's good. It is pretty good. I have another uh, thing I brought up to Daniel that I'll bring up to you. and you. I, I may have tried to broach the subject before, but you remember when I was doing... Uh, that episode I was doing on Swedenborg, I was telling you about that mystic Swedenborg. Yes. Um, and he said something about Franz Swedenborg, Emmanuel, Emmanuel, Louise von Franz. I think you're thinking of. She's a uh, she's somewhere over Louise here. Louise von Franz oh, yeah. Swedenborg, <laughs> Emmanuel Swedenborg. So he was this mystical dude, and um, he was a, a, a you know legitimate scientist, but um, also a mystical dude. And he said that uh, he's a mystical dude. <laughs> He said that um, stars were something like a portal between Whoa. the realm of God or God himself and the world of being, you know, reality. That stars were a portal. They were a place where God became matter and, and physical reality. That's the best way I can explain it. Um, and it's, it's, it's an, an idea that you can write off easily. Because you can say to yourself, the stars are gases. Stars are gases. They're, just, they're burning. Yeah. Their hydrogen turns into helium. It releases energy and light, and that's mm-hmm. what you're seeing, and that's all there is. It's just controlled combustion, uh, blah, 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 being held together by gravity. It's a result of the Big Bang. Just a physical As a result, result of, of the, the Big, Big Bang. Bang. Correct. And that's all true. I'm not, I'm not debating that. Uh, but what Swedenborg says is that, is that that is the place where... God and, and its creation touch and where where he, the way he puts it is he says the love of God which is very symbolic it's like the power of God whatever it is that God is flows through the portal it, you know and becomes heat and light it becomes all of the energy energy that's needed and the gravitational force that's needed to form planets for life to emerge and what we experience as electromagnetic radiation and gravity and all the stuff that we experience from the sun physically, it's some sort of a uh, of a conversion of whatever God is in the objective world into the world of being. It converts from God stuff to star stuff, or something like that. Mm. And I thought about that a lot, and I think that's fucking interesting. It is pretty cool. And I'll, I, I'll tell you why I think it's cool. I told this to Daniel, so there's a little bit of repetition, but you tell me what you think. You already said stars are created in the Big Bang, and we we all more or less agree that that's the truth. The Big Bang is what we call singularity, right? It's when everything that exists was One one thing, whatever that means, before it expanded and became everything it is, um, and when a star dies, it becomes a singularity. 
becomes a black hole. And scientists use the same words to describe what was, at, what was there at the beginning, the Big Bang, to what's there at the end, a black hole. And a black hole sucks everything in, including light. Not even light can escape from a black hole. Light that suns produce, right? And uh, then we, there was an article that came out a while ago that was talking about how scientists saw for the very first time a black hole that was not sucking things in, but it was spewing things out. Yeah, I heard about that. And no one ever knew that that was possible, that black holes did that, and, and what it means. But you can see if it's spewing out gases, maybe that, all that stuff's going to form a new star. And so you look up at the night sky and you see all these, all these points of light, these puncturing at the, you know, the, the, the canopy of the sky. And according to Swedenborg, these are all portals, you know, light years, billions of light years away from each other. Every little pinprick of light is a portal. And on the other side of that portal, God. And I think that's interesting when you consider that physics cannot know what happens beyond the event horizon of a black hole. That information, all information gets sucked into it, that not even light can escape. Right? Yeah. And that's what they say. the laws of physics break down. We have no way of modeling or knowing what is on the other side. And what's crazy about that is that from mystics, God is seen as something unknowable. That's one, one of the most common ways of describing it as unknowable. And what's on the other side of the black hole is unknowable. Information cannot escape. What do you think, man? Possibility? Kooky? What do you think? It's a possibility. I don't see that as, like, ridiculous. But, I'm, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I'm not saying that you can, like, fly a spaceship into the sun and come out on the other side into Godland. I'm not saying that, but you never know. Uh, <laughs> um, but then you then you can think about, like, how many religions um, have key... Um, well, they're based. They're based around the sun. The sun is a god. The sun is Ra, Aten, Sol, whatever. The sun is a god or the high god. The sun is the visible presence of God on Earth. You, I mean, in being. You look up. You want to know where God is. You just look up at the at the at the sun, and there it is. Mm-hmm. And we've thought that as human beings for for a very long time, and that coincides with Swedenborg's notion that if you want to know where God is, just look up. Look up at the place where God touches the earth. You know, touches the cosmos. It's the sun. I just find that interesting, man. I, I, it's compelling. It's weird, but I can't like disprove it. And I kind of, it's like Bigfoot. I just want to believe it's true. It is. I like it. It's a good theory. It's uh, got the right like mix of plausible and also like kind of poetically beautiful. Yes, correct. That's I like what I it. like. That's what I like. Yeah, yeah. It's a good story. Mm. And it's weird, too, because there's a lot of, like, uh, when I first read Swedenborg, I, I had read um, Sir Humphrey Davy just before that. And those guys lived not far not far apart from each other in time or in space. And they were both um, respected scientists. And they were both knighted by the monarchs of their countries. They were respected people who contributed to science in big ways. And both of them believed that supernatural beings existed in outer space. Not aliens, but spiritual beings existed in outer space. It's crazy. Yeah. Weird. So, you know, before the Big Bang, when everything, all the matter was one singularity? Whatever we can know about that, yeah. So, that means that all the planets, the comets, the asteroids, the gases, the the nebulas, Mm -hmm. all of that shit, the space dust. Yes. All of it. Yes. Was one singular, you know, smaller than the head of a pin, they say. Not even that. 
also all the hundreds of trillions of light years of space and all of the billions of years of time rolled back into that one pinprick. Not just the matter and energy. That, see, that's where I was going. Is yeah. it, it includes the negative space around the planets? Yes. Interesting. And the reason is, and that's a weird thing. How do they know that? Well, I'll tell you why they. I think why I think they know that. But the weird thing about that is, if space and time gets collapsed in on itself, we imagine this pinprick, but we imagine it somewhere. Where does that Where does that pinprick exist? But there is no somewhere. The pinprick is all that is. You know, there is no there is no place where it is because everything is collapsed into the into the. And that's one of those things that makes me think that idealism has some some scientific value to bring to the table because idealism says that everything exists in mind mm. and if all space breaks down and all matter breaks down into the singularity where that singularity exists you can still imagine it in mind whatever that might mean um, but but here's what here's what scientists say scientists say when the big bang happened and everything expanded the reason that the expansion happens the reason that space exists in between them is because all of the things that were in that singularity um, are entangled by the Big Bang, by this event. So quantum entanglement happens, occurs with all these quantum entities, whatever you want to call them, and the, the entanglement is space. It's weird, man. But this is what they say. If you have two particles that are, in, that are created and entangled, the space in between them was created by their entanglement. And the space that you and I walk around in is is created from the relationship of quantum particles that arose from that singularity. Right. It's like, what does that even mean, man? You reminded me of Dave Matthews right now with the space between. Space you know that between, song? yeah. <laughs> man, sorry. And so scientists see that the universe is is blowing up like um, they they often will say if you're baking a loaf of bread. And you put a bunch of uh, raisins in the bread. The raisins might be like stars, let's say, or galaxies. And as the bread is, is, is expanding in the oven, it's expanding in all directions, right? So space is growing between every raisin and every direction simultaneously all at once. Mm -hmm. And that's how it expands. Like it's being blown up by a, like a balloon. So you've got this. You've got, and they know that because of something they call a, a redshift. When they look at the stars through a whatever, whatever they use, some kind of magical, device. some kind of magical science device, they can tell that the uh, stars are becoming more uh, red or less red, one or the other. That that on the spectrum, um, the colors of that that they can detect are moving um, away. The wavelengths are getting longer. It's changing color. So that's how they know it's getting farther away because the wavelengths keep getting stretched and it changes the color. Got it. So that's the extent of my knowledge as far as, you know, astrophysics is concerned. But, <laughs> um, but that's what they say. That's the, that's the story. And I'm sticking to it. It's still, hard, it's still hard to imagine what the singularity could be if, if it has no place to exist. That's still very, very interesting. And scientists will tell you we can't tell you what happened before the Big Bang, and it might be incomprehensible to talk about it. It might be, like, that's a Neil deGrasse kind of argument. Like, it's not even the right question. You know, we're just going to get around that by saying it's not even the right question. Yeah, um, I fucking have, hate that, dude. Yeah, they have no idea. They have no, they have no idea. And that should be the most interesting thing. Like, the mysteries, that should be what scientists are trying to unlock, right? Instead, they just want to, like, mutually masturbate each other about what they already know. 
It's like, yeah, Neil, why don't you start with the shit you can't know and work on figuring that out? Yeah. That, that's what science is about, man. Yeah. But it's the wrong question. Another guy who says that all the time is um, uh, Fabric of the Cosmos, Brian Green, mm. one of those popular popular uh, culture right. physicists. Yeah. Yeah. He'll talk about he'll talk about that all the time. It's not the right question. Fuck off, man. Who are you? How do you get to decide what the right question is? Exactly. Uh, another thing I've I've been bumping into on Twitter lately, uh, I'll ask you about. Tell me what you think. A lot of people who swim in this in the circles that I swim in, the panpsychism and idealism and all this hippie to be uh, mysticism and all that stuff. A lot of these people are staunch atheists. Yeah. Or they're people that like. Will call themselves pantheists or panentheists, like you know, all is God in some way, but but um, but more in the sense that um, nature is this uh, self-contained, uh, self-perpetuating system, and that system is is the thing that they call God, something like that. But they're uncomfortable using the word God, and this is what I've been finding. I'm having conversations with people, even people I agree with on a lot, like way more than you would imagine an ordinary person would go with me on. And then we'll get to a stumbling block where I say, that thing I call God. And they're like, I'm out. And like they're immediately, and they keep asking me, what explanatory power or what advantage does using the word God have in this situation? Like they're reluctant to even use the word. And I keep trying to get them to tell me why and Nobody it will be straightforward with me, either because they're, they, they think that their answer is going to sound silly, like, um, I, don't, uh, um, I don't believe all the um, mythological stories. I think the Bible is a bunch of made-up stories, and so God must not exist. Like, that's a weak, weak argument. So maybe it's that, or maybe they never thought about it, and so they can't answer me. But I'm getting a lot of pushback, and it goes something like this. I say, how do you define God? And people will give me lots of different answers. But I think the simplest definition is that which is responsible for existence, period. Whatever it is that makes reality possible, that's God, whatever that is. And people will hear that, and, and they're like, they can go with that. But they just, seem to, they just seem to think it's unnecessary to use the word God. Like I could just say something else. It's got all this baggage. Baggage. Yeah. But and I think that's what it is. But nobody will admit that that's what it is. Yeah. You know. And they keep pushing back on me like I'm being unscientific. I. I yeah, I don't know. I science. They're just worshiping science. I mean, at, on some level. Some some are yeah some are. If, if that's like the thing that you're comparing everything to. When it's um, it's flawed. It's not complete, you know. Science. So I don't know. I yeah. just don't. It's not all it's cracked up to be. No, I mean, I, I like so these. These people seem to be okay suggesting that um, the Big Bang as a singularity might be God. What, what I would call God, the thing that the thing that makes reality possible, or they they might say that there's conditions to the physical laws that allow for a singularity, and so those rules are God whatever the rules are that govern reality, which is a weird way of saying it because reality doesn't exist pre-creation, you know? So if there are rules that govern physical laws that allow for a singularity, that allow for a Big Bang, 
then there's something that pre-exists the Big Bang. But they, they, don't, they don't want to call that God. They're just going to say there's some mathematical facts. There's some fundamental facts of, I don't even know what word to use. It's like you have to bend over backwards to not say God. And they are doing acrobatics, man. Yeah. I just don't know, man. It makes me feel like, like, I, like maybe I'm just a old and out of touch like in a, in the sense that like I'm like I'm bringing uh outdated terms into the conversation and we're we're having arguments about language not about not about like concepts you know it's hard to argue with someone unless you define your terms though yeah that's true you, you know I think people I think people hear the word God and they think of the baggage that you that you brought up. They think mm-hmm. about all the stories and dogma and like historical like um, you know cruelty and all that stuff that we could talk about for religion. Uh, people also reject the moral components of religion, which I think is a more complicated issue. It's like if God is that which which makes reality possible, that's one thing. That's God as creator or origin. But then you could say. Um, God is that is that which gives the measuring stick for your actions and thoughts as to what's good and what's bad, and people think about God that way also, and that's a stickier that's a stickier conversation. Um, I can understand if you, your morality doesn't match up with you know some codified religious morality. Some people would say, "Listen, I don't think that's what right and wrong means, so there's no God." And still, I'm like, "No, man," you know. There's there. I don't know. I think it's it's more important to uh, understanding what God means to understand the idea of God as as a creator or as a as a, an origin type of a of a concept versus um, a moral uh, paragon or a moral guidepost. You know, I, I don't know, but uh, a lot of atheists um, don't like the idea that morality might stem from God or might or more more realistically that it might stem from some religious tradition that goes back to ancient times and you know it's it's outdated yeah you know yeah (laughs) i don't know i tend to think that that is where it came from yeah i think philosophically the word god is is not something we can do away with i think it's too important it's too important as a concept yeah i think a lot of people don't care about the philosophy you know uh, but the people that you talk to on Twitter seem like they do, so... Yeah, yeah. Most of them. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird. It's weird, man. I think there's definitely a uh, secular thing in this culture that it's been slowly being weeded out. You know, we I don't think we grew up as religious as our parents. Our parents didn't grow up as religious as our grandparents. I think we'd all agree between you and I that that's true. Mm-hmm. And the the generations that are coming up are even less so. And even that's true even with my kids. If it wasn't for my wife's aunt taking them to church, they wouldn't go. Now, I might feel more guilty about that if she didn't take them. Like, I might feel like maybe I should. Yeah. Maybe they should be exposed you, to some of that. You're like, they're getting it. Yeah, they're getting it. Yeah. I'm waiting for the day that, my, that one of my daughters asks me about God. Mm. You know? Uh, you're 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 gonna like you're gonna have a I don't know like a breakdown. You're gonna be so excited. I'm, I'll be very excited. <laughs> I'll be very excited if if they start showing interest in that. It's like like I was describing with my daughter uh, getting into ancient Egypt and ancient China, like just like eating that up. Yeah. Uh, as soon as she asks me about that, I'm gonna be. But I'm also into the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm also I'm also very unsure about what to say. Because I don't know what at certain ages, like 
what they can handle, what they can digest, what will make sense to them. So I got to figure out a way of simplifying what I think because I want the I want my girls to know what I think. I all I want them to think what I think. Not about everything, but about God. I want them to think what I think. I think that I have a unique perspective that has been uniquely validated by my experience to where I don't doubt it, at least at the highest level. I don't doubt what I believe as some sort of a fact, a fact good enough for me. Um, so far stands the test of, of criticism, and I wanted to pass that on to my girls, but it, you know, I, could, I couldn't just come out at six years old and tell her what I think. You know, so I was thinking like, I was thinking like I might do some of the things like when my, I was young and my dad would take me hunting and we'd have these moments in nature of quiet in nature where it was very reflective and beautiful and awe inspiring that maybe I will take my girls to a place like that where they can be in nature and be quiet and still their minds and have, have some experiences like, like <coughs> that. And then, then I could just tell them little things. Like, uh, you know, you see how the forest is alive, you know, do you see how you, if you're quiet, how you can hear all the animals that you didn't even know were there because when your mind is busy, you don't even notice the sound of the chipmunk in the, in the, in the leaves. You don't even notice that spider that you can see very slowly crawling, you know, on the tree. You start noticing the, the sounds, you start noticing the shadows, you start noticing how beautiful it is. You get overwhelmed with this experience of, of being a living being inside of this greater living being and then just tell my girls like you know we're all part of nature and nature is all one thing and you know it's all you know changing and recycling and everything is you know start with ideas like that and i don't know man i just want to find a way ways to to sh- show them the beauty and awe in, in nature and in their own consciousness and then slowly introduce these ideas to them. I don't know. I don't know, man. Uh, it sounds kind of like I want to indoctrinate my kids, but, it, you know, I think maybe parents do to a certain degree, at least whatever it is that they're convinced of that they think's you know, worthwhile passing on. Calling teaching your kids anything indoctrination is like propaganda. That's you true. Ha- I mean, obviously you're going to pass things on to your children, you know, and I don't think that's bad. I think that's, I think that's good. Yeah. I, I wanted my girls to make their own minds up about things. Nah, you make it up for them. <laughs> well, the truth is they're not prepared to make their mo- own minds up about things until they're... Time to grow up. Until dude. they're much, much, much older, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. How about you? If you if you had kids, um, what do you think you would do in terms of uh, introducing them to religion? I would drop them off in a jungle, <laughs> yeah. and they would grow up Mowgli-style. Yeah. And uh, if they made it back to me, they would be my rightful heir. <laughs> they made it back to you with a sh- with a wolf pelt exactly. over their shoulders. Yeah, it was like, yeah. you're worthy, my son. Mm. Is what I would say to mm. him when he <clears throat> showed up at the door. Um, you know what else is weird is I have daughters, mm. and there's something there's something in the back of my mind that's like it thinks that t- teaching the daughters. What I think is important is that it's more likely to be taught to to their next generation. Yeah. But if I if I had sons and I taught it to my sons, I feel less likely that they would teach it to the next generations. Why? I don't know, man. There's some there's something that 
that makes me think that women are like they have they have a very important role in like um keeping the culture going because there's always always women in my life that um like they're in charge of they're in charge of the celebrations and the get-togethers and the holidays and the uh, and what what we cook and when, mm-hmm. you know, and all those little cultural things. Uh, it's like it just men don't really seem to be involved, at least not in my experience. Uh, the men are they're, they're watching football, you know, on Thanksgiving, and the women are doing all the stuff. And so I don't know, man. It's just like um, I feel like women might play a more important role in um, in the cultural continuity. You know? Okay, and men are always looking to like. They're always looking to like uh, make a name for themselves. They're always looking to like, you know, plant their seeds and like start creating something for themselves. They want their own family. They want their own. They want. You know what I mean? Like it just seems like natural for men to want to do something for themselves, and that like I always wanted to set myself apart by being different. You know what I mean? Find a way to be different. But that that culture is exactly the opposite of that. Culture is finding ways to be the same. I don't know. It's not well thought out. What do you think? <laughs> um, I really don't even know, to be mm. honest with you. Mm. Is there anything particular that uh, that you have, like like a dish that you cook for a particular holiday that stands out? So, in my family, I mean, obviously there's turkey on Thanksgiving, yeah. which is pretty widely, you know, everyone does turkey on Thanksgiving. <clears throat> And uh, on Christmas, we do ham a lot of the time. Mm. On Easter, we also do ham. Ham, yeah. Um, but that was when my grandma was alive and she was cooking all the meals. Yeah. This Thanksgiving, <laughs> yeah. we're going KFC. to a buffet. <laughs> we're going to some like fancy like buffet, is like it be, catered is it, buffet. Is it going to be like a turkey dinner? Probably. Oh, okay. You don't even know? I really, yeah, I have yeah. no idea what's going to be interesting. there. Yeah, man. So, uh, so I, my wife has been uh, pretty like inspired by, um, like after her mom passed away, she's been pretty inspired by like keeping that stuff alive that her mom used to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot more like there's like certain cakes that she makes uh, for certain holidays and like you know uh, certain ways she does gravy or stuffing or something like that. You know, it's like yeah. I think all that stuff my wife she takes pride in, and she's like pretty like animated by it when. When she kind of, you know, it's a lot of work. So I'm not saying there's like not, there's not bitching that goes along with it and like ang- frustration and anxiety because it's a lot of work to do that. But she just seems to be animated by it. Like she rises to the occasion, like she wants to do it. And then and that makes me think that she's going to be this, she's going to be enthusiastic in the same way to teach my girls all of that stuff, you know? Got it. I don't know. I guess my dad did some of that for me too, but it just it doesn't seem like as much, you know? Yeah, most of that I feel like came from my grandparents. Like a lot of the, like that kind of thing. Like the planning, the meals, yeah. and the, what, you know. Yeah. That was definitely centered a lot around my grandma. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Even that is a good example. Yeah. And I say the women are more important. It seems like they play a more important role in the in the continuation of the culture. Um, if you think about like your mom and dad, which one played a, played a bigger role in your formation? It's like mom. It's mom. Um, it's how it feels for me. Is that how it feels for you? Yeah, yeah. And then if I you mean, and then if you do the same thing with with grandma and grandpa, you know, it's like grandparents. If you have good grandparents, that relationship is a, is a nice relationship. But who's more important than that? That's not as easy for me. Okay. Um, 
Grumpy was definitely like very, you know, <coughs> he was very influential on me. Yeah. In terms of like the personality qualities that you want to have as a as a man or yeah, like an example. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I get you. Um was that taught exp- expressly or was it just like you observe it and Yeah, then, I think that's see, more. That's the difference. Yeah. I think men are like that. It's like I'll be an example and you pay attention. And it's like nobody ever says it, but you're learning. I think that men should do more open instruction you know i think that that should be a a bigger part of our culture for sure i agree i bet you that years ago it was you know i I agree do you you think that's what jordan peterson's doing being a dad to a ton of yeah well he's like expressly teaching it rather than just saying watch what i do you know i think there's something about that man there's like lots of fraternal societies that used to exist that Maybe some, maybe they still do, but that used to give you an outlet for that sort of a thing. You want to join an Elks Lodge, dude? <laughs> okay, yeah, that'd be fun. I've been invited to be a, a Mason on multiple occasions. Yeah, well, no, no, I'm not. I'm not on that. I don't want to be a Mason. <laughs> you don't want to be a Mason. I don't want to worship the devil, dude. Oh man, really? No, not really. Mm. Devil's not my guy. It's not your team. No, I'm on Team Jesus. <laughs> yeah, um, but. Yeah, I don't know. I'm proud to know what I'm saying. All right. I think we can sign off on Team Jesus if you want. All right. Team Jesus. <laughs> Team Jesus. That's it. Happy Ooh. Halloween, y'all. Oh, watch us on YouTube. What is... I think the best way to find us on YouTube, just go to YouTube. Type in the search, The Two Tongues Podcast, and we, you should find yeah, us that two, way. Yeah, The Two Tongues channel will pop up if you... We, just, go ahead. No, you you go ahead. Yeah, The Two Tongues Podcast will pop up if you just type in, uh, go to YouTube and type in Two Tongues Podcast. Uh, you'll find it. It's, it's easy to do. Right now we have one um, video there from last week. Soon to be two. I, soon to be two here in a moment. I tried to do one uh, by myself and I fucked, fucked up, up the dude. audio input so it didn't happen. But uh, but look for us on YouTube. Check us out. Um, subscribe. The Two Tongues Podcast.com. All that business. Yep. See you guys. Adios. Well, there you have it. That's one avenue explored, but infinitely more still to go. I hope you enjoyed thinking along with us. I know, I know. It's not easy work. Thinking. It's hard and full of uncertainties, but I'm grateful for the company as we trek through this together. Here's to hoping that the juice is worth the squeeze. See what I did there? Let's find out together in the next episode.